0: I can't. You said that about anything recently? I can't. Can't go to work today. Can't get out of bed. Can't do the budget. I cannot go outside where the allergies are and pollen. Maybe you felt that way about your local church. I just can't go back to church. Maybe you feel like that way about your marriage. I can't keep doing this. Maybe you feel like that, that way about evangelism. I can't. Or maybe you're of a younger age and you say it this way. I can't even. To which I respond, "Can't can't even what? Can't? That's just that's it. You just can't even." It just describes your whole feeling about everything. Here's what the book of Acts is about, to revisit a sentence from our first week in the book of Acts. Acts is Luke's compilation of God accomplishing His plan to save people from every nation through the unstoppable, Spirit-empowered witness. That's what God is doing in the world. The Trinitarian accomplishment of the salvation of sinners from all nations. God the Father has the plan and the providence and His sovereignty. Christ has come as God's Son to lay down His life as sacrifice. He now reigns. And the empowerment of God's people by the Spirit of God. How is God the Father going to get the gospel of Christ the Son to the nations? By Spirit-empowered witnesses. Think about it this way. What does it take to make the sun shine? Every second. Every second, the sun fuses around 620 million metric tons of hydrogen into helium. That's how it can travel 92,000 miles and still help our plants grow and burn our skin and blind our eyes. What does it take to run the Tesla Gigafactory here in Austin? Every day, the Tesla Gigafactory uses 2.4 billion watts of electricity. Every day, which means every day the Tesla factory uses enough electricity in just one day to power 225 homes for a year. Or, if you wanted, the Tesla factory could power 82,394 homes every day. What does it take to get the message of Jesus Christ to all nations? Save them, sanctify them, and keep them until they are brought home to be with God forever? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the necessary power of God by which the church of God accomplishes the plan of God. Let's just stop and pray and ask for God's help this morning. Father, I just confess my own feeling of helplessness and weakness today. Father, I know that many of us come from trying to obey you, trying to follow you, and maybe gathering here today and not even knowing you, but bumping up against our helplessness, our lack of strength, our lack of ability in our flesh. Would you, through your preached word today, help us see recognize, wait for, long for, trust the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your church for your plan. And may you do that, Father, through your word, through our singing, and through our discipleship this week, and in our personal devotion, would your Spirit help us? Today, Father, help us feel the necessity of the Spirit, and help us trust and follow your Spirit. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. amen. And the book of Acts functions as a chronicle of what happens after Jesus died. Jesus began to tell his followers when he, before he died that he would be going to the cross, that he would be killed, then that he would be raised the third day. After having paid for the sins of mankind, he would raise on the third day. That's what Jesus was all about. That's what he came to do. He was sent to be a ransom for sinners. He put his life on the cross to die a death that we deserve. Every single one of us here are sinners. If you don't know it, that includes the person next to you, that includes you. We've all sinned against God. We've all done wrong by God. And the hope of the New Testament, the hope of the Bible, is that God put His Son on the cross in our place, that we would be forgiven for our sin, and that rather than suffer the death that we deserve, Jesus took on that punishment. And then he raised from the dead, finally fully paying for our sins and inviting those who believe in him to come and have new life as well and live new lives. And now Acts is picking up. Jesus has paid for sin. He has raised from the dead. Now what? Now now what are we doing? We saw in week one that Jesus had chosen his 12. He chose the 12, and we're going to add that one, Matthias, in the chapter in the weeks to come. Jesus had twelve that he chose, in particular, to be his authoritative witnesses, the apostles, to lay down the deposit of the truth of the gospel after he ascended into heaven. In week two, we saw that Jesus appeared many times to his apostles, proving himself to having been raised from the dead. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to go raise from the dead on the other side of the mountain, just trust me. No, he, he raised and he went and ate fish and he sat with them and he prayed with them and he taught them through the Spirit things about the kingdom of God. He, he proved that he had risen from the grave. And this week, we're still really in that introduction of the book of Acts, where we're going to see that Jesus is reminding the apostles and so the church of the necessity of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to go be my witnesses and tell everyone what you saw by proofs, you must wait for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a necessity in the church. What Megan read for us again says, And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, the Holy Spirit is the subject of much confusion for many people. Is it okay to call the Holy Spirit an it? Should we call it a he? Can you call the Spirit Holy Ghost? What does that mean? What? does the Holy Spirit do? Does the Holy Spirit do the same things for everyone in the church? What should I be expecting the Holy Spirit to do in my life? Do I talk to the Spirit? Should I pray to the Spirit? Should I sing to the Spirit? Through the book of Acts, we're going to be seeing the Holy Spirit over and over and over, seeing the Spirit work in many different ways. But today, we're going to see one simple foundational truth for the church, the necessity of the Holy Spirit. That The foundational truth is that the Spirit is the power. The church needs to accomplish the plan of God. That's the main point. You could title today's sermon, The Necessity of the Spirit, if you're looking for a title. The Necessity of the Spirit to Accomplish the Mission of God. The Holy Spirit was always the promised plan of God the Father. Notice Luke records what Jesus is saying, that they should wait for the promise, Jesus calls it, the promise from the Father. Everything in the Bible, the whole direction of history, is the plan of God the Father. And the Holy Spirit coming to fill first the apostles and accomplish the mission of God is the plan of God. It's always been part of the plan. The the New Testament states up front in every gospel, on the front end of every gospel, that the plan was for God's people to be baptized in and by the Holy Spirit, you can find it in Matthew chapter three, verse eleven. The next gospel, Mark chapter one, verse eight. You'll find it in John chapter one, verse thirty-two. Luke records the very same sentence structure as every gospel does. He says it in Luke three, fifteen through sixteen. Luke 3, 15 through 16 says, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John. That was John the Baptist. Whether John might be the Christ. John is baptizing people. He's calling to people to repentance. He's saying the Messiah is coming. Maybe he's the Christ. And John answered them saying, I baptize you with water. Just water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist came before Jesus, and John was baptizing people in water. That baptism is a sign of believing in John's message, repenting from your sins. Jesus is coming. I believe. But notice what every gospel says about Jesus. In every gospel, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with with water, with physical water. Jesus is coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And some add, in fire. John, his baptism was just in water. Jesus is going to immerse you, to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. What is that? Baptism in the Spirit mean? I mean, what, is that, what does that phrase even mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Or for Jesus to baptize with the Holy Spirit? Like we get physical baptism. You come, you get in the water, you go down, you come back up. What does it mean to be baptized by the Spirit? Well, we've got to be really careful. We can't simply just define the word by our modern use of the word. We, we need to understand more ancient biblical understanding of baptism. First, and this committee can get a little tough because baptism has meant different things in different cultures throughout time. But the word baptism is baptizo or baptizo. It's a transliteration into English, meaning we don't have another word for it. We, we just say it in, in kind of an English you know, redneck way of saying it, baptize. The initial use of baptism in ancient Greek was a reference to a sunken ship, to sink the ship, to suffer the loss of the ship, and to see it sink down, down into the mire, and be totally submerged and engulfed, was to say that ship is baptizo, baptized. But the word was also used in a kind of metaphorical sense. You could say, in ancient Greek times, that someone would sink into intoxication or drunkenness. In the same manner, be baptized by their drunkenness, overwhelmed by it, overcome by it. It's used to suggest the effect of someone being overwhelmed by magical arts in some ancient documents. Occasionally it means to wash or to cleanse like taking a bath. But the word also took on a very spiritual, religious meaning. In the Septuagint, the earliest Greek translation of the Old Testament... The word baptized is used, for example, when Ruth is invited to come dip or baptize her bread in wine. And the ornaments of the temple in the Old Testament, where when they're introduced into worship are to be dipped, Septuagint would use the word baptized, and that became the technical term for washings, to cleanse items, and priest for the Levitical purity and service of worship in the temple. So, there's an understanding of what the word baptize means from a, from a Greek perspective and even from a religious perspective in the Jewish community. So, take notice that when John the Baptist shows up and starts baptizing people in the Jordan River, the question is not, what's baptism? What is that? Why, why do you keep putting people under the water? I'm good. I'm good. Now The question is, why you, John? Why, John? What do you have to say? Who are you? That we should come be baptized by you. It's not a term that's familiar to us. It has to be taught in its ancient context. Um, one of the baptisms early on in our church uh, here at Millwood uh, might, might have been one of the first that my, one of my sons had seen. Uh, I won't say which one, but he's uh, the oldest and has blonde hair. He was little. We did a baptism here at church. On the way home, he just spouted out a question. Dad, why did you give that guy a bath at church today? (laughs) Which led to a good conversation about the gospel. But it never dawned on me to actually ask him what made the connection. Son, we've never given you a bath like that at home. That's not what we do. Where where did you get this connection? The point is that the practice was not new in their context. It, It meant something to them. There's an identifying someone or something to be set apart or clean or religiously connected, even when people were to be baptized. The question when you start baptizing was, why your baptism, John? Who are you? John the Baptist even baptized Jesus himself. Remember, John didn't want to do it at first. John didn't want to baptize Jesus. When Jesus came to him to be baptized, John said, no, 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 no. I should be baptized by you. There's a recognition of of authority. And when you get baptized, you you connect yourself with someone and their teaching and submit to it and repent to it. And John said, I need to be baptized by by you. John recognized being baptized had subordination humility aspects. John relented at Jesus' command and baptized Jesus. In part, Jesus was saying, in part, there are many things that have to do with Jesus' baptism, but in part was saying, John's right. The Messiah is coming. You should repent because the Messiah is upon us. So see how the word baptism, it has layers of meanings through time. It's also used in different ways even in the book of Acts. The word itself to mean different things. Sometimes it's talking about water, sometimes it's about spiritual things. But this first mention of baptism in Acts, it's a reference to Jesus... First time we hear baptism in Acts is Jesus baptizing his apostles in the Holy Spirit. Not in water, not with a bowl, not in the Jordan, but spiritually in the Holy Spirit. Instead of a bowl in the temple or a ship in the sea, men in the Spirit. Instead of John the Baptist baptizing men in the Jordan River, instead of in the river, in the Spirit. Instead of purification for temple worship in the physical temple, now baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now instead of just identification with John and that Messiah is coming, identification with Christ and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, starting with the apostles, is going to baptize the church with the Holy Spirit. Bodily baptism in water now becomes spiritual baptism by the Spirit. Like a ship in the sea, like an item of worship, like in the water, Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And in all these possible meanings, it's a spiritual event. There are at least three things I think this means. And last of the three is the main one in view, when Jesus said He's going to baptize in the Spirit. Two, really quickly. One, baptism in the Spirit means regeneration and purification. It's not the main point, I don't think, in Acts 1 yet. But it is how the Bible talks about the baptism of the Spirit. The Spirit's work spiritually in those who come to trust Christ. Titus 3 5 says it like this He he saved us not because of any works done by us in righteousness. God didn't save us because of our good works. Instead, He has saved us according to His own mercy. You don't deserve it. God's just been merciful. He saved us according to His mercy. And how did God save those who are in Christ? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. By the washing of regeneration and by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is how He regenerates and purifies us from sin. And this really is what the Old Testament prophets were looking forward to in the New Covenant. The Holy Spirit is the accomplishment of the New Covenant. Ezekiel said it like this in Ezekiel 34, verse 24. The promise, God said to his people, is, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you. And there we learn he's not talking about water, water. He's referring to a baptism by the Spirit. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols. I will cleanse you. And the promise in Ezekiel and Jeremiah is that God's going to do this cleansing of sin in the heart by giving His Spirit, by taking out our heart of stone and putting in His own Spirit in us, to regenerate, to wash, and to cleanse. The Spirit regenerates, and the regeneration is the washing, the cleansing from all uncleanliness, all of our sin. My friends, just know that this is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, to come first make us feel things, not to first come give us excitement, not even first just to empower us to do things, but to come regenerate us, to purify us. We are, our sins are atoned for through the blood of Jesus Christ, and His regenerative, purifying Spirit is given to those who put their faith in Christ. And secondly, baptism has identification meaning. Baptism by the Spirit means regeneration and purification, but it also has identification meaning. Being baptized by someone or in someone's name is kind of like being seen with them in public. You just assume that they're together. It's a formal recognition. It's even stronger than that. It's a formal recognition that you're connected, that you're part of that movement, you're part of that people, you're part of that kingdom, you're part of that teaching, you're following that message. It's an identifier. That's what happened when John the Baptist was baptizing. It was a sign you're with John. You're believing this guy. You're following this guy. You think that he is saying something true. Most prominently, however, baptism is a means of regeneration and purification, it has identification meaning. But most prominently, here at the beginning of the book of Acts, baptism is necessary power. Necessary power. It has empowering effects. It means regeneration, purification. means meaning of identification. But chiefly here at the beginning of Acts, it has empowering effects. It's necessary. And the apostles immediately, after they receive the Holy Spirit, begin to do things that they could not do and things that they would not do. Until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes upon them in the next chapter, they begin to do things they would not do and that they could not do, unless they had been baptized by the Spirit. For example, Peter gets up in chapter 2 and preaches the sermon on the day of Pentecost, Many different nations, every nation under heaven it says, Jews from every nation under heaven are there gathered and Peter preaches in front of them with the other 11 behind him, boldly proclaiming right there in front of everyone in the middle of Jerusalem that Jesus has died for our sin and raised from the grave. But you just go back a few chapters before that in the Gospels and you got, you got Peter standing around a fire and there's a little girl going, don't you know Jesus do not you with him? Peter says, I don't no idea you're talking about. You know? I don't, I don't know. You know. It's a little girl, Peter. She's not gonna hurt. Well, she could hurt you. I've I've known some girls, but the point is, he, he's doing things he wouldn't do. The apostles began doing things they wouldn't do otherwise. Paul was on the way to kill Christians and put Christians in prison. He meets the Lord. He receives the Holy Spirit. And then he's doing something he never would have done before. He starts going down the road and telling everyone about Jesus. Through the Acts, the apostles, they just keep preaching. They just keep preaching the gospel. They just keep telling people that Jesus has risen from the dead. They keep telling people that Jesus is the only way to forgiveness of sins. That Jesus is the Son of God. The Spirit proves Jesus. He appeared to us. And they just keep saying it, even though Caesar and the chief priests and everyone keeps telling them, if you keep opening your mouth, we're going to put you in prison and kill you. And they just keep preaching. They just keep telling everyone that Jesus has risen from the dead being baptized in the Spirit, they find themselves doing things they wouldn't do. And they find themselves doing things they couldn't do. find themselves doing things they couldn't do. As they're going about preaching the gospel, as they're standing in front of the, the temple for some time, a lame man is healed. And they're put in prison. The prison doors are opened. They get free. When Peter preaches the sermon at Pentecost, he, he speaks and people hear him in their own tongues. One sermon heard by many nationalities in their own language. I don't care how, you go, how, you know, how many Rosetta Stones you have, but you can't do that. You can't speak in English and someone else hear you in Chinese. The Spirit did that. They're, they're doing things they couldn't do without the Holy Spirit, that like cast out demons. The Spirit empowered them to do things they would not do and could not do. This is first for the apostles. The point was, a great summary passage is Acts five, twelve. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. Why? Because they were under the influence. They've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And the point here is nothing happens without the Spirit. The church doesn't go forward. The gospel doesn't go forward. The the apostles don't apostle without the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is necessary. Notice how Jesus knows this is the plan. Back in Acts 1, 4 through 5, while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Don't, don't, not yet, wait. Not yet. You need something before you go. Wait, he says. Wait for the promise of the Father. Don't go anywhere. Don't start this thing yet. Just go, sit, and wait. Why? Because you cannot and you will not do this without the Spirit of God. The plan from the beginning, the promise of the Father, is that you will be given the Spirit of God to go accomplish the mission of God of telling the nations about the Son of God. There are merely, nearly 50 mentions of the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and actually even more heavily concentrated on the front probably seven or eight chapters. In this little 28-chapter book, just about 20 times the Spirit is referenced in each gospel but one of the things Luke is doing and is constantly reminding us that what they are doing, what is happening in the church is happening by the Spirit of God. The baptism of the Spirit led to spiritual renewal, their cleansing, their regeneration. It's the empowerment that makes the plan of God happen. It fuels the apostles' witness that Jesus is the Christ. So as you're, you're reading through the book of Acts, what we're going to see is Jesus gave his commands through the Holy Spirit. The the apostles are preaching in the power of the Spirit. Those who repent do so because they're moved by the Spirit and they receive the Spirit. They were going to stop preaching at one point, but the Spirit of God emboldens them to continue preaching. The apostles were gathered together in the power of the Spirit doing signs and wonders. The Spirit is the mark of a deacon. Stephen preaches to his death. By the Spirit. The Spirit leads the apostles geographically from Jerusalem to Rome. Stephen is led to the Ethiopian out in the desert by the Spirit. Paul is led to Antioch by the Spirit. Peter is led to Cornelius by a dream from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit forbids Paul and Barnabas from going to Bithynia. Paul is resolved in the Spirit to go into Macedonia. Paul is constrained by the Spirit and bound for Jerusalem. The Spirit teaches and leads the apostles into the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Acts 15. The 12 in Acts 19 in Ephesus are filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues and prophesy. The Spirit prophesies famines and foretells that Paul will be arrested. The Spirit made overseers in Ephesus. The whole point is everywhere you go along through the book of Acts, there's a constant reminder that this is happening by the power of the Spirit. This is what it means most generically and generally, broadly, to be baptized by the Spirit. Not just accomplish a few things, but that the mission itself needed Spirit-empowered, Spirit-baptized apostles and church. The whole mission, you could say, in a sense, is in the Spirit of God. Meaning what they did what they heard, what they understood, where they went, who they talked to, who believed the gospel when they heard it, all the healings, all the providence of meetings, times, and places. The whole thing is empowered, enabled, moved forward through time by the Spirit like the Spirit is the one pushing the sails. The reason Jesus commanded them to wait for the Spirit was the necessity of the Spirit to accomplish the plan of God. The Son Go out and look at it today. It's fueled by 620 metric million tons of hydrogen every second. You drive past the Gigafactory over on Highway 130. I don't know how many football fields long that thing is. Every day it powers enough to power 82,000 homes or more. What powers the church? What could possibly... Make the church go. And what could possibly, and all that God has planned for the church to do throughout time and history and all over the world, what could possibly make it go? The Spirit of God. Three things for us as we think about the necessity of the Holy Spirit in the church. One, wait for the Spirit of God. We're seeing an example here to wait for the Spirit of God. A Spirit does not just do some things in the church. It has kind of its own responsibilities, and then we have our responsibilities, right? The church baptized in the Spirit is the means for accomplishing the plan of God. Totally, wholly submerged, or doesn't go. Church, let me just tell you, without the Spirit of God, we can't and we won't. The church is a spiritual organism. When we come to a place as a Christian and we find ourselves in the mission of God, whether it's in our home, in our families, in our church, in our neighborhood as members, and we find ourselves saying, I can't do it. I can't fight sin. I can't evangelize. I can't keep the faith. I just just can't. Friends, what we ought to do is finish that sentence. I can't live as a Christian in the flesh alone. I can't. Go back, remember what it was like to become a Christian. To have your your lungs filled for the first time, to have your mind opened for the first time, to have your eyes actually see for the first time, to come alive at the hearing of Jesus Christ that He's risen from the dead. We are in a disposition of dependence upon the Spirit of God. Like the apostles first were told to wait We too, through the New Testament, are told to constantly remember the necessity of the Spirit of God. We don't ever go forward as a church with more power, more direction, more fruitfulness, more hope than we do with the Spirit of God. And if we find ourselves powerless, directionless, fruitless, hopeless. Let us plead for God to work with the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of thankfulness and hopefulness for us. God is seeing to His plan take place by giving His Spirit to His apostles and His church to complete the mission of spreading the gospel. Just think about all the challenges that Millwood Baptist must have faced since it was planted in 1985. Material things like building debt, pastors moving, pastors failing, Christianity becoming a minority increasingly in our city, financial challenges, storms, people moving, some members falling away. We could go on and on and on and on. Let me just tell you, church, what do you think is keeping the church going? It's the Spirit of God. We, we, we won't go, and we can't do What God wants us to do without the Holy Spirit. So be in that disposition where we're waiting for the Spirit. And we're not too judgy about our church. Recognizing it is our job to do what God has given us to do. By preaching the gospel with the lost. By growing one another in maturity. And trusting that God will empower His Spirit to do it all. Pray for strength from the Spirit of God. Wait for strength and leading from the Spirit of God. Pray to keep in step with righteousness and the leading of the Spirit of God. Listen in mind and heart and soul to the leading of the Spirit of God. Pray and ask and expect for the Spirit of God to give you boldness to talk about Jesus. I just... It's pretty early on when, we, we're going to get to this coming up later in Acts 4, when the, the room is shaken, the disciples are all gathered together, they've been told not to preach anymore in Jesus' name, If they go back out there and start preaching in Jesus' name, they're going to be arrested, and some of them are going to be killed, and they pray for God to give them boldness. And What does God do? He gives them the Spirit. The Spirit comes and shakes the room, rushes in like wind, and encourages them, and emboldens them. Because that's what God wants to do. God wants to embolden His church, by the Spirit, to do the purposes that He has for His church. Pray, trusting the Spirit's leading in Providence. follow the Spirit leading in Providence. I mean, how, how in the world did we get uh, Philip, a Jew, out on a desert talking to an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8? The, the spirit led Philip out into a desert road. <clears throat> and when he got there, he found this guy, this eunuch reading Isaiah 52 and 53. It just, just happenstance, right? Philip, let's go out on this road. When you get there, you find this guy who is just like ripe fruit, It's a Pentecost term, to hear the gospel and receive the gospel, follow the leading of the Spirit. You, you, sometimes we don't know what might be on the other side of the Lord saying, go talk to that person. Give them a phone call. Help them out. There's a person you know over there. Go pay for their meal and ask them how they're doing. We just go on and on and on, but the Spirit leads in this way. And start each day with this prayer. Lord, I'm dependent upon your Spirit to do your will. Have that heart, have that disposition They were first, like when they were first waiting for the Spirit, that we too need the Spirit. That waiting for the Spirit is just saying to the Lord, I'm dependent on your Spirit to do your work for your name and your glory. Secondly, think spiritually. See everything as in, in spiritual terms. Bavink says, by regeneration, a quote, natural human becomes a quote, spiritual human. We are. And we are about, as a church, spiritual matters. We discern things spiritually. We we are concerned about what happens spiritually. We're a church that's acting in spiritual ways and means. You might want to just be asking yourself if your participation in the church, if you're walking with the Lord, is spiritual or is it in the flesh only. Am I just kind of doing things that anybody would just do on their own, like a good Pharisee? Do you feel and recognize the conviction of the Holy Spirit about sin? And do you recognize the Spirit's conviction about sin? Do you welcome the Spirit's conviction of sin? Do you obey the Spirit's conviction of sin? Does that describe your life ever? That's what it means to be a Christian. You ever felt like Philip in Acts 8 felt the leading of the Spirit to go see someone or go go somewhere or go serve someone? Have you felt the nudge of boldness when you come to a place and just begin to say, I just don't care? I don't care what happens to me. I don't, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to obey God. I, I'm going to go care for that. Remember, I just don't care about myself anymore. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You have been absolutely lonely in the world? Absolutely burnt out, ready to quit everything, questioning Christianity, but suddenly felt the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This is not uncommon for the church to be comforted by the Spirit. Do you not look at your church, or yourself, or Christ's church in physical terms only. Did you see the difference between the physical and the spiritual? We, we see ourselves and we are to judge ourselves spiritually. When you think about the question, how are we doing as a church, or, or how are you doing as a Christian, that's a question that must be answered in spiritual terms. Is the gospel being preached? Are Christians bold? Are Christians growing in holiness? Are Christians growing in love for one another? Are they doing things that are the fruit of the Holy Spirit? And am I doing things that are fruit of the Holy Spirit? Do I see things in spiritual Terms, or is my, my whole judgment about how the church is doing this year the budget? That my whole my whole value system for how the church is doing is just number of people, or or, or was the worship team in sync today? See everything spiritually. We're, we're baptized by the Spirit to be about the spiritual growth of the church. The spiritual harvest of the church. And regular discipleship, helping each other follow Jesus, it might often look like this. You talk about the weather, you talk about the cowboys. Let's all pray for the cowboys, they need it. You sit down though and you look someone eye to eye and you ask them a spiritual question like, how's your soul? How's your soul? I mean, if you haven't been asked that in a while and you get asked a question like, how is your spirit, how is the spirit of God working in your life? If all you do is talk about weather and work and taxes, it can be jolting to realize, I I haven't been paying attention to myself like that. I haven't been thinking about other people like that. Think about the whole world spiritually. Everything God is doing in the church, he does by the Spirit. Herman Bovink describes it like this, believers are together built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. They have a spiritual understanding, and as spiritual people, they discern all things without being subject to human scrutiny. They sing spiritual songs and no longer bear the image of the first man who was born from the earth, a man of dust, but have become a living soul bearing the image of the second man who became a life-giving spirit and is himself from heaven. They will therefore one day be raised to a spiritual body, that will be like the glorious body of Christ. They love the law because it is spiritual. They serve the new life of the Spirit, not under the written code. Accordingly, having received the Spirit, believers have become very different. They have a new, they are a new spiritual people. They are and live in the Spirit. They walk according to the Spirit, and they rejoice in the Spirit. They live under the law of the Spirit, and they are led by the Spirit, and are, assumed, are assured of their adoption as children of the love of God, peace with their future glory because and by the sealing of the Spirit. The Spirit's in everything. See the world that way. See the church that way. See lost people as not having but needing the Spirit of God. And lastly, just trust. Just very simply, trust the Spirit to empower the people of God to accomplish the plan of God to save the nations through the gospel of the Son of God. Trust the Spirit to do the mission of God. Sometimes I think Christians and churches can find themselves feeling like they're pushing a car that has run out of gas. You ever push a car that's run out of gas? I know some of you have. Some of you have maybe been in the car while someone else pushed it for you. It's run out of gas. It's heavy. I mean, we're constantly running around in our cars. And they're Amazing. You know, I, I, love, I love my truck. You, you push it, it makes a big sound and it just goes fast and pulls stuff and saves cars. It's got, it's got power. I, I had had my truck a whole seven days. It's not like a Honda Accord. Honda Accord, when the gas light comes on, you probably got a solid week, maybe, <laughs> before you need to go get gas. A truck light came on, Probably the first time I needed to get gas. Truck light came on. Oh, thank you for telling me truck. So thankful for our new relationship. And we'll get gas in a while. I I probably went two minutes down the road before I called Colette. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to come get me. Just dead. Didn't even try to push it anywhere. I've got, I mean it's miles between me and the next gas station. I know I can't make it go. It has to make me go. Oh, church, just rest assured, God does not need your strength. God is not up there wondering, I just, I just wish Millwood Baptist would be stronger. I wish they had more strength to offer me. Because then we could really, really do something. No. God empowers the church by his spirit. It is up to us to respond to the Spirit, to obey what God has given us to do that He said the Spirit would empower. It's to us to follow the leading of the Spirit to a house, or to call, or to text, or to comfort. Just think about the power of the Spirit for the last 2,000 years. Since the first baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, the Spirit of God has Powered the salvation of untold millions of souls. By telling untold number of nations about Jesus. The Spirit has generated untold billions of dollars. By leading the church to generosity. It's continued to energize the church by indwelling believers personally for over 2,000 Years and unlike the Texas electrical grid, it has never been turned off. It's powered the sending of missionaries to every continent, to every corner of the earth. It's powered kindness to the meanest people. The Spirit has powered grace toward the greatest sinners, powered endurance when facing persecution. It powers strength when you don't have any strength. It generated the spread of the good news about Jesus to be preached. In every single pulpit, in every church, every Sunday, whether it's in the woods or in the mountains, in the cities, or it's gospel conversations on the airplanes, at kitchen tables, or in front yards. It has powered forgiveness of enemies, it has powered the renewal of marriages, it's powered the regeneration of children. It has powered the overcoming of addictions. It has stopped wars. It has started revivals. Today, the Spirit is powering thousands and thousands and thousands of churches all over the world who are gathering to sing spiritual songs. It's powering family devotions. powering teachers teaching building blocks. It's powering life groups getting together to read the Word and to open it and to pray for each other, to fight sin. It's empowering one-on-one relationships making the church go make obedience to Jesus the ministry of the gospel and the ministry of your word of the word your purpose church make obedience to Jesus the ministry of the gospel the building up of one another to maturity make that your purpose because to those ends god empowers the church and we can't and we won't without the Spirit of God. What does it look like to trust in the Spirit and do things that are silly sometimes? Bobby Jameson says it like this, and I'll close. It looks like preaching to dead people and praying that the Holy Spirit would give life as only He can. It looks like shining the light of the gospel as brightly as you can and praying that the Spirit would give people eyes To see it. It looks like aiming for things only the Holy Spirit can give to people. New loves, new hearts, new lives, new selves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you especially today for your spirit. Thank you for strengthening, emboldening, enabling your apostles and your church to accomplish the mission of preaching the gospel. Thank you for salvation through regeneration and Cleansing of the Spirit. We're so thankful for the grace to be identified with you, having been baptized in your name. And Father, we just ask you help us trust the work of the Holy Spirit. Help us be patient. Help us be dependent. Help us follow the leading of the Spirit. Help us be, as a church, help us be attentive to what the Spirit is doing in our individual lives. Help us this week to be very keen to listen to the leading of the Spirit. Consider the accomplishment of your plan in the littlest ways Father, we confess we need the Holy Spirit to accomplish your will, to accomplish your plan. Help us be obedient. We love you, Lord. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.